The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Breaking the Baseball News Podcast here on the Pitcher List Podcast Network. I am Tim Jackson this week. Flying solo as T.C. Zenka uh, further improves himself with some uh, some additional outside educational opportunities, and he'll be back next time. But right now, we're going to hop right into it because a lot of things are happening in baseball, as they have been really since the end of the World Series. And uh, we'll, we'll talk about a few various things that might seem a little scattershot, but really, I promise that they're all related. First and foremost... The number one thing to talk about right off the bat is that Justin Verlander has agreed to what is effectively a two-year, $50 million deal to re-sign with the Houston Astros. That came out just before recording. Uh, So, uh, good fortune for for Verlander, good fortune for us. And there are some really interesting notes in there. One, it's really a a one-year deal. One-year, one, ooh boy, here come the words. One-year deal worth $25 million dollars with a player option for the second year that is also worth $25 million. So uh, basically, it's only not worth $50 million if Verlander doesn't want it to be. And I I can't imagine it not being that. Uh, you know, Verlander is going to play 2022 at 39 years old. We have talked often on this podcast in particular about the unprecedented territory we're in when it comes to some of these elite pitchers, notably Max Scherzer, guys who are just seemingly paced to finish their careers as productive as they've ever been because they are so good and they have maintained their talent for so long. Uh, but Verlander is going to be 39. That would mean that he's going to 2023 at 40, which would mean that he would be in his 18th year at that point. Uh, in terms of being a major leaguer, he's been up since he was 22 years old. And there'd be a ton of miles on the arm. I don't know what deal would be better. I don't know if suddenly the market is way, way healthier in 2022. If the new CBA uh, would enable Verlander to opt out and make more money than $25 million in a single year. Uh, maybe even over multiple years. I, you know, it really depends on what Verlander does as he comes back. He really didn't throw in 2020, and he didn't throw at all in 2021. He threw six innings. He started one game before his elbow blew out in 2020 in the bizarro year that was that season. He was good. I mean, he was Justin Verlander, but it was six innings. It was one start. And the last time that we've really seen him be Justin Verlander was 2019, which feels like centuries ago at this point. And 
certainly it might feel like that for him as he hasn't really gotten back to the mound. And of course, no guy like him ever would want to be off of it. But nonetheless, we thought he was old then. And we know pitchers are aging differently. And we know their skill sets have been able to be carried by them for longer. But he threw 223 innings that year. He had basically, you know, incredible rates, a 35%. Uh, strikeout rate, a 5% walkout rate, uh, walk rate, and that would mean that a 30.5, basically 30.5% K minus walk rate, which is remarkable. The league average is like 14. So he, you know, just about doubled it uh, at that point in 2019, uh, more than that. And his bullpen coming out of this winter a couple of weeks ago, the reports were good. Some guns had him up from 96 and 97 miles per hour. He sat below that, but could still amp it up there. Um, Maybe you're projecting as a team. You know what? He is a guy who hasn't been healthy lately. He had an elite skill set. He had it forever. He has as many 200-inning seasons as Antonio Alfonseca has toes, which is 12. And that is something that next to nobody can say in baseball at this point. And why wouldn't you bet on a guy like that? It's actually a Kevin Goldstein thing who has said that numerous times. He gets asked about, obviously, uh, all sorts of Astros questions from his time with the team in his Fangraphs chats. Uh, And whenever Verlander comes up, he says, I don't know if I would give the money to Verlander or the contract, but I wouldn't bet against him. I don't know if Verlander should start. I think I'd move him to the bullpen, but I don't know if I'd want to be the person who told him. Uh, Implicitly, telling us about Verlander's character as basically that, you know, a dog. He's, he's going out there and, and he's he's really going after it pretty much every time, all the time. And that's a difference maker for these kinds of players. That, that, that mentality is, I guess, irreplaceable and not really something you can scout. And once a guy has it, like any other skill, he seems to have it. Uh, unless, you know, he's at the very end of his career. Maybe he's not performing as well, but... He's still got the mentality, and that's any given player in that context. So what do we make of that deal? Effectively a two-year, $50 million deal for the Houston Astros and Justin Verlander. I was kind of surprised by it, to be you know totally honest. Houston is very particular about the money they spend. They certainly have invested in pitching, and especially veteran pitching, during this run that they've had in terms of being competitive. Uh, they made somewhat of an offer, I guess, to Carlos Correa. It, it was an offer that, frankly, was enough to look like they tried, probably. Uh, five years, what was it, $160 million or something for him. Um, it would take him through his age 32 season, but not really the deal that is going to be top of the market, and he's probably going to be able to look elsewhere. And an interesting wrinkle in all of this, if you haven't heard in the last couple of weeks, is that uh, Correa purportedly led a charge to not really have Verlander throw out the first pitch at a playoff game uh, because Verlander had not been around the team pretty much all of 2021, which is another wrinkle on top of that wrinkle. And we're talking like we need mom level skills to iron these things out at this point. So Verlander wasn't really around the team, uh, rehabbed away from them. Uh, maybe it was like, oh, I can't bear to be near you know the competition when I can't compete. Who knows? But it's a weird situation. And curious because it's not like Correa was the only guy who was in favor of Verlander not throwing out that pitch, presumably. So he's going to be in a room with guys who don't like him. And maybe it's just a peek inside baseball or any locker room that that happens pretty regularly. But for a player of this caliber, this talent, of this repute, really, 
with what it comes to be an Astro and what it comes to be Justin Verlander in the context of what it is to be an Astro. Very interesting stuff all the way around. Uh, but, you know, he's going to do it. I don't know. I mean, how many innings is he going to throw? I don't know, but he's going to do it. He's going to go all out. And the Astros gave him $50 million, which is pretty atypical. But we are seeing the league lean this way for veteran pitcher contracts, which really leads us into the week's big idea, which will feed into a sneaky other big idea. And sneaky in the sense that we may not realize it as a narrative, especially given the stories we read and the stories uh, who that get written based on who informs those, those writers. Uh, so we'll get there in a moment. But right now, let's just talk about the starting pitching market because it is super duper red hot. Like, don't go near it. You'll get burned just looking at it. Kind of hot. Uh, and all sorts of deals all abound. Jose Berrios just signed a seven-year deal with the Twins. Uh, rather, with the, with the Blue Jays. Sorry, I had a flashback there for a moment. Uh, so he signs the seven-year extension that could ultimately be worth up to $131 million, and that covers really a huge chunk of Barrios' career at this point. Uh, he has been going since 2016, so the deal will basically uh, span a, a length of time that is longer than his career has been to this point, although he is only 27. He'll pitch next year, 27, 28, and he's been pretty consistent so it's a healthy deal for a pitcher of his caliber, for sure. He was, by Fangraphs, wore a three-win guy, or just under three wins in 2017, just over in 2018, four and a half in 2019, ultimately just a win in the shortened season where things were weird for everybody, where he was still pretty good, although the walks were up a little bit. And then in 2021, split between Minnesota and Toronto, really solid, another four-win season in which he regained his walk rate and not only regained it, but had a career best walk rate, which ironically, or perhaps not so ironically, was pretty common for all of this year's big free agent pitchers. A lot of the guys on the market had 2021s where they had incredible years and in large part because they struck guys out and they limited free passes. A really simple uh, arithmetic really, but really, really potent arithmetic and I think you know Cyrus just had a piece on this at the athletic in terms of looking for you know quote unquote the next Robbie Ray but really the idea is just that when a guy in his walk here can strike guys out and he can limit free passes he's going to be in a really 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 good position to cash in especially if he has some history as someone like Jose Berrios does interestingly enough he is you know he he can have control that comes and goes based on how his breaking pitches move. That, that sweepy curveball comes and goes at times. Uh, he did throw it pretty much more than ever by a tick last year. He has been just under 30% since 2018, 2017 with that pitch. Uh, really, other than that, outside of it, he's a two-fastball guy with a two-seamer and a four-seamer that he splits pretty diligently and pretty equally. Uh, and then a changeup. He's got that that funky, uh, you know, big boy changeup that comes with that kind of arm slot and the kind of movement profile he gets on the sinker and the curveball. So right now, the Blue Jays have what is really, I guess, you know, their big horse going forward. It'll be interesting to see how it continues to play out. If they continue to add on top of Berrios, 
Uh, it'll be interesting to see what Robbie Ray does uh, because he's the other big arm at the top of that rotation. And it's it's almost like we have to wonder when this situation comes up, did the Minnesota, <laughs> I keep going to Minnesota, uh, did the Toronto Blue Jays talk to both of these guys and say, this is what we've got for either of you. And whoever gave them the response they wanted, knowing that they had options in-house, they maybe leaned into with negotiations because Barrios is set as the righty to be the top of that rotation for the next seven years now. Behind him is Hyunjin Ryu, uh, who's going to be 35, and then Alec Manoa, who is awesome and only going to be 24. Uh, Ross Stripling, who is really up and down and really not good the last couple of seasons, even in the shortened season. And as of right now, their fifth spot goes to top prospect, but top injury getter, Nate Pearson. So they needed stability. It seems like Berrios was the first one interested in providing it, which isn't a slight against Robbie Ray at all. He's, he's earned the right to be a free agent, so he can do whatever he wants. Uh, but I'll be curious to see if ultimately the Jays go hard after Ray, knowing what, what he can do and knowing what kind of ceiling he can have, basically as we just learned tonight, which as you all hear this, is uh, after November 17th. He's the Cy Young winner in the American League. So do you let him roll into that? Do you do you say, we believe in you, Robbie Ray, like it's you know, Harvey Dent and, and Batman some seven, ten years ago, whatever that movie was? And do you do it without the foresight that Harvey Dent didn't really turn out so great for Gotham City? Uh, Robbie Ray had an incredible year last year. Obviously, if he won a Cy Young, he had... Uh, a career-low walk rate for the first time ever. He was below like a league average rate, uh, just shy of it with 7% in his walk rate. But uh, 2020, over two teams, he was up at 18% with his walk rate, a rate that really makes a, a player untenable in your rotation. You can't have a guy doing that. It helped that he struck out 27% of batters. But ultimately, his K-minus walk rate was two-thirds... Uh, you know, it was two-thirds total of the league average. It was 9.2 last year compared to generally about 14% uh, in 2020. When I say last year, it's still 2021 in my brain. So 2020, the last season before this one. In 2021, Robbie Ray's K-minus walk rate jumped to 25.2%. I do not have this data in front of me. I'd be very curious to look at it just for uh, various giggles. But I have to imagine that is one of, if not the biggest, jump in year-to-year K-minus walk rate, which isn't always, you know, it's not like a great indicator of necessarily anything, but obviously Robbie Ray's game totally changed, and he changed because he was able to put more pitches in the zone, and it'll be interesting to see if the Jays use that strategy and continue to use it with success with Barrios and his breaking balls because they are so potent, and now at least they've got one answer atop their rotation, They know, ultimately, they could have another. They probably still want to spend. They probably want to see what happens on the offensive side of things, ultimately, because, like, oh, do we get a Kevin Biggio back, and does he get back on track? Uh, You know, what do we do with a bullpen? Nobody could stay healthy there last year. Do we just keep piling up arms we feel could be high-value arms if they stay healthy and things go well? And then, of course, we've got, you know, the rest of the lineup, where what do we do with catcher? We've got like 12 of them who could be on the roster uh, with prospects on the way who could be elite bats, but do they stick a catcher? Like they have a lot of questions, 
but they're in a really good spot because they're good questions to have as a competitive team. Uh, the, the catching situation, having too many, quote-unquote too many, let's use uh, air quotes in uh, November and see how it plays out come June and July and August. Uh, that's a good problem to have because not very many teams have it. Uh, beyond that, the rotation does have some, some stability now with Barrios and at least Ryu, who can at least be a veteran on top of that. And Manoa is a solid three, and let's see what happens with four and five. Uh, you'd imagine they're going to make at least a couple of depth moves, I would assume, for the back end of that rotation. But Barrios cashes in in free agency to the tune of uh, seven years, $131 million. And uh, it's an extension. He wasn't he wasn't a free agent outright. He did have uh, you know arbitration years left, but the first year of this deal does buy out that arbitration deal. Uh, ultimately, I like it. It's it's nice to see the team spending. We heard the Jays were going to spend. We know that they are backed by Rogers, which is an enormous uh, telecom company or communications company in Canada. That you know, okay, great. That, like. We don't need to worry about a face of the team somehow saying, well, we really didn't, we lost money during COVID and we haven't had a home park and we haven't been able to have fans the way we thought we would and we were even further behind than other teams can, you know, consider they, themselves to be. So we haven't gotten any of that. I think that's a great sign. Along with the pitcher deals going on was Eduardo Rodriguez signing with the Tigers for five years and $77 million. A nice little note uh, for him because ultimately, I mean, geez, he, he has uh, his heart issues that kept him out uh, a couple times through his young career so far. He dealt with COVID last year, which complicated his heart issue and made it really difficult at times for him to pitch and come back. But he is another guy who in 2021 had, uh, you know, he threw 157 innings across 31 starts, pretty reliable, the second most innings he's ever thrown in his career, only to 2019's 203. He had the best strikeout rate of his career. He had the lowest walk rate of his career, making for the best K-minus walk rate of his career. Again, I'm telling you, it's a common theme. Good for these guys hitting their stride at the right time. And interesting that he gets five years and $77 million for a player who was on the free market free he's in the free market as a real free agent unlike Barrios uh, has had really similar value seasons as Barrios his two seasons uh, bookending or really I guess yeah bookending this the, the pandemic in 2021 and 2019 uh, 3.7 wins by fangraphs and 3.8 by fangraphs so really consistent really good uh, you know more than a strikeout per inning walks fewer guys than most uh, most pitchers do and, I mean, even this year, he did it with a 363 BABIP, which, again, we talk about BABIP and batting average not being, you know, end-all, be-alls, but they are relevant when the numbers are that large. 363 is a huge number, and it's ultimately one that served him still. I mean, he he, he wasn't burned by it. His, his velocity wasn't down too, too much, just three-tenths of a mile per hour. Uh, and he had a 474 ERA, and... Hopefully, this is the kind of signing that, outside of just Detroit, will be very interesting to see if this starts to shift some public perception in terms of how valuable he is, because his FIP was 3.32, his XFIP 
Uh, so things that look at fielding independent pitching and expected fielding independent pitching in terms of dynamic and what's going on in the game. Really, really solid rates, like well below league average that hovered around 4.25 this year. So it might look like he wasn't that good, but if again, you this is like baseball 101 at this point. You can't just look at that ERA. You have to look at some of the peripherals because we know that weird things happen in play. I was just, you know, I'm listening to Hanif Abdurraqib's uh, Go Ahead in the Rain book, uh, Notes to a Tribe Called Quest. And if you know anything about Hanif, you know that he weaves in all these different cultural elements in the stories and poems uh, that he he digs into. And one of the things he got into is Bill Buckner and the ball rolling through his legs that clinched the World Series for the Mets. And then he went on to say, hey, remember Game 7 after Game 6 when the ball went through Buckner's legs? Remember how he was replaced all series up in that point until that game when he mysteriously was not replaced in the late innings? And it just happened. He, he was just the wrong guy at the wrong time, facing a cruel, uneven playing field. Like, that kind of detail is important, right? We know baseball has a lot of funky bounces. We know baseball has a lot of funky context in any given game. And we know it can happen in any given game, which is part of why it's so exciting for 162 of them over the course of a season and then a postseason. Why it's even exciting when funky things happen in spring training. It's a part of the allure. So when you just look at Eduardo Rodriguez and you see, oh, a 474 ERA and he just got $77 million. They just signed him for five years. He, what if that contract goes south? You're not thinking that. His strikeout rate is strong. His walk rate has always been really pretty solid, league average. He's got a really high floor, and you're signing him to basically be a really good pitcher in a rotation that is growing. We've talked about the Tigers before. One thing I'm curious about when it comes to Eduardo Rodriguez is what they do with his breaking balls and how often he throws them or how much more. Because TC and I talked about this some months ago when it came to the younger guys, the Casey Mises, um, the Tarek Skubles, the Matt Mannings. They very clearly emphasized throwing more breaking balls in the Tigers organization this past calendar year. And by and large, it worked. A lot of these guys took steps forward, noticeable steps forward. The thing with Rodriguez, maybe that's part of the appeal because he just threw his breaking balls more than he ever did because he just threw fastballs uh, pretty much less than he ever did. Uh, but his his mix is three fastballs. That could be part of it too, giving three different looks. We've seen that work with the likes of Lance Lynn, although Rodriguez is a, a different type of pitcher, but similar uh, maybe tack in that sense. So he's got the four-seamer. He's got a cutter. He's got a sinker. He has a changeup and a slider, a legit five-pitch mix that he uses enough of each one where it's not just like, oh, wait, I might get this in the middle of a random at-bat for any given hitter who comes up. He just threw the slider, 8%, the changeup, 23%, uh, and I wonder if they toned down one of those fastballs. I wonder if they have him lean into something with a little uh, you know, glove-side break like the cutter could. Uh, if they maybe tweak the mix a little bit to see if he can fit into the org, or if they say, you know what, what you're doing has been working, 
Eduardo Rodriguez, you're not a set-it-and-forget-it all-star stud, but you are set-it-and-forget-it in the sense that maybe we believe you can be this consistent with this mix because the more pitches you have, the, the more opportunities you have, right? If you're missing one of them in one game, it's not like you are uh, Denelson Lamette, who if he doesn't have his slider, then he's only got, which is an elite pitch, when it's on, then he's only got his fastball, and then and then what? Like how, how many innings can a guy get through like that? When you have five, if you're missing a pitch that day, you still have four. You can still confound hitters, even if one or two pitches aren't really there. So he gives them options in that sense. That much is true. And he does give them really a, a solid base in, in the Detroit rotation, which is really, really interesting uh, in the sense that they still have Mize and Scooble growing into their roles. They're going to be 24 and 25 next year. They still have Matt Manning, who they project really well with. Uh, who's going to be 24 next year, and hopefully he can take a step forward in terms of his performance last year, which wasn't really the kind of thing you go and write home about, but still there with a really highly sought projectable skill set. Uh, and then Tyler Alexander is currently slotted in as their fifth arm, and Spencer Bo- uh, Spencer Turnbull, Matthew Boyd, Hurt, who knows what happens with them. Turnbull's probably out for a while with his TJ surgery, You don't know what's going to happen with them, but the Tigers are getting interesting. They will be very interesting if they can land one of the star shortstops on the market. Uh, Carlos Correa seems like he could be a fit there, given that he's already won. And apparently the players loved A.J. Hinch. And if A.J. Hinch can lure that kind of talent there, I mean, George Springer's there now. Like, uh, No, he's not. He's in Toronto. I'm, I'm really crossing up my wires tonight. Uh, it is. It has been a, a long day and a long week, but... Nonetheless, A.J. Hinch has made Detroit partially desirable. I mean, he, he did a great job last year. They have a lot of good pieces. Spencer, Spencer Torkelson is on the way. Uh, Isaac Paredes does some really interesting things. If you go in and look at historical minor league numbers in the last decade or so, guys who hit the way he has hit have major league roles, which is a huge thing for a team like that. Uh, they have, oh my goodness, Riley Green coming up in the outfield you know they've got a lot of young pieces where a piece like Eduardo Rodriguez and if they add a star storage shortstop who is only 27 or 28 could be there for a significant run in the next two or three years a team that maybe sneaks up on others like I don't know the Mariners did last year in a different way but similar you know if you win games people aren't expecting you to you're going to start to get talked about that way Hey, Alex Fast here, and thanks for listening to this podcast on the Pitcher List Podcast Network. If you're a fan, consider supporting all of us by getting a PL Plus subscription, where you're going to get an ad-free website and get access to our Discord, where you can talk to all of our podcast hosts and staff. Plus, you can hang out with our incredible Pitcher List community. It's basically a baseball sanctuary year-round for as low as $8 a month. You can sign up at PitcherList.com backslash plus, and you're going to get your first month free with promo code podcast also don't forget to check out everything else we do as well from youtube videos live streams newsletters off-season articles tiktoks breakdowns over 15 baseball podcasts on our network we can't stop talking about baseball even during the off-season so sign up for pl plus today at pitcherlist.com backslash plus and use promo code podcast to get your first month free all right thanks for listening let's get back to the show we also have, moving on, Noah Syndergaard signing a one-year $21 million deal with the Los Angeles Angels, which is just a weird... I mean, it's it's a weird deal for the Angels to sign because they've had so much pitching trouble and having guys stay healthy lately. 
in the last few years that like why would you sign a guy who has an injury history and only sign him for one year and not have any security if he does blow up and then you're in a position to pay him a ton of money when he still has that injury history in a calendar year in the weirdest way possible this is the most angels move possible uh, that came up in the the bp slack <laughs> craig goldstein mentioned that when uh, Howard Megdal and I think it was Mark Barry talking about <laughs> what a strange move this was for the Angels, and as one of you know one of my buddies said, uh, actually Owen uh, at Fangraphs, Owen McGratton, uh, I think mentioning that you know the Angels needed options, not upside. So when you sign Noah Syndergaard, as he just came off in a year when he only threw two innings and he didn't pitch in 2020, like holy. But, like, what are you getting yourself into? There is nothing to buy into. You're going back to 2019 to look at this guy, and he does not have the hardware and the history of somebody like Justin Verlander. They're like, all right, like, I could see it. I don't know if I'd have paid him that money, but I could see it. Side note, when we talk about, I don't know if I'd pay him that money. Of course, it's hypothetical. Of course, these guys can earn their their worth whatever teams are willing to pay them, if not more. Uh, it, you know, it. It's just, is that the best thing for the team I would build? Probably not. I don't know. Probably not in the case of Noah Syndergaard. I don't know if I'd want him backing up my rotation when really the only other guy is Shohei Otani, who was obviously incredible, but who is also obviously like a delicate player in the sense like, how long can he do this? Uh, We just saw one of the most historic years ever, which was incredible, and Another great reason why it's so fun to be a baseball fan right now is because the talent is incredible and you have somebody like Otani leading the way. But other than that, the number three is Patrick Sandoval. We've talked about how successful he became with his dead fish changeup, which apparently does not project to be able to be terribly repeatable. I'll be curious to watch that this year. And then Jose Suarez and Jaime Berea are their four and five options right now. And Chris Rodriguez is hurt. He was interesting, but was getting stretched out as a uh, violent uh, a violent windup, a violent motion to the plate, and an injury history that could really tag him for the bullpen. I don't know what this deal is. When, it, you know, to say that it is so weird and also so quintessentially angels right now really does feel accurate because when I saw this deal, I was like, oh, okay, good for Syndergaard. And then I was like, oh, the angels? And then I was like, oh, one, one year, prove it, pillow contract for him? <laughs> as i'm talking it makes me think of of uh, arrested development when they're talking about george michael's girlfriend Anne and, the, and the, her <laughs> she's your girlfriend her <laughs> just an an unwitting fit uh and it'll be interesting to see i mean maybe that atmosphere and the change of pace and being away from the mets who are very clearly still dealing with at least communication issues again as something Howard Magdal, ironically, uh, not ironically, but now I've mentioned him twice in the span of like five minutes. Howard's great. Hi, Howard. Uh, He mentioned on Twitter, just as the signing came up, like very clearly the Mets have a communication issue because it was reported that Syndergaard didn't hear from them at all in the like days after uh, the, the, the qualifying offer was sent to him, which he rejected, which Everybody in baseball rejected that was offered one. I think it was 14 guys. Only Brandon Belt accepted his with the Giants. That is uh, an interesting footnote. But the Mets didn't talk to him. And that just goes to show, like, if you're Syndergaard and you've dealt with this this team your whole career, and they are the ones who have slow played so many things and the ones who have seemingly boofed so many things uh, and just 
you know, totally fumbled them throughout the years uh, since you've been in their organization. Yeah, I would want to wait and see how they respond to me too. I would want to wait and see if they check in and see, hey, Noah, how's it going? Have you given the offer thought? We've been thinking about it. What about two or three years at this rate? If you're not talking to a player like Noah Syndergaard for days who's been in your organization since he was drafted, that's a huge deal. And like, yeah, sure, let me get out. Let me go to a place where there's way less pressure, uh, maybe dysfunction, but not nearly at the level that has been publicly demonstrated with the New York Mets for the last few years even in the wake of Steve Cohen becoming their owner. Yeah, let's go to LA. I can see it. I totally get it from his perspective. Why wouldn't I sign a deal that was worth a little more than the qualifying offer I just rejected that allows me a chance to establish myself and get a big long-term deal next year? Why wouldn't I do that? Because even if it doesn't work out, then I'm still in good shape. I just don't quite see it from the perspective of the Angels and Syndergaard is a really fun pitcher when he's on. Uh, you know, we'll all be curious to see how he does overall. And ultimately, I guess it's anybody's guess. Uh, but that does bring us to one major point overall, which is a quote that came out in uh, recent days or, or the last week or so. Time is a flat circle and meaningless in a construct we've come up with as humans to comfort ourselves. So uh, we don't need to spend too much time on what had happened. We just need to know that it did. Uh, uh, an anonymous executive quote uh, texting John Heyman about, as bad as I've seen it, two and a half months of pain in reference to what they expect for the labor talks this coming winter. Um, a few things on that. Labor has been pretty good by MLB standards from their perspective for at least like two decades. And any executive or any management side source from this context right now hasn't been in management long enough to know the last time things were really rocky between the PA, the MLBPA, and the league. And that, that, like basically it, it too. I think Mark Normand at BP was talking about it being uh, Jerry Reinsdorf. Um, Let's see, who else was he? I forget the names. Dave Dombrowski and Rob Manfred. Like, basically, they're the only ones who were around the last time. And even then, things have really gone MLB's way as a league for decades. Decades. We're, we're going back to the mid-90s. Uh, Craig Calcaterra has talked about this in his great newsletter, Cup of Coffee. Uh, Mark Normandon has written about this extensively at BP and elsewhere. You know, it, like, two and a half months of pure pain. Like, what does that mean? Does that mean the union's pushing back? Does that mean they're going to plant their feet? Does that mean they're going to look out for future members in the sense that, like, we need to get guys earning sooner because you're not paying us later, which was a really long-term plan you've executed pretty exceptionally? It's irrelevant. And it's even more irrelevant, by the way, teams are acting right now. Teams are spending money, and that's a good sign. The pitching market is red hot, white hot, scorching hot. If you're a pitcher, it's a great time to be a free agent right now. Uh... Jose Barrios and uh, Noah Syndergaard, Edward, Eduardo Rodriguez have had great campaigns, but they are not like, yeah, this guy's going to lead our rotation for the next five to eight years. No problem. No sweat. Not worried about it at all types. They're not that pitcher at all. They have had wild swings at times and they're getting paid. Barrios got paid before he was a free agent uh, and the money was there, which is interesting because what would he have gotten as a free agent on the market? Uh, Syndergaard got a, an interesting deal from a team looking for depth. Uh, Barrios got the got his deal from the Jays. Uh, Rodriguez got his team got his deal from a team that's up and coming. 
And Robbie Ray's still on the market. Like, really interesting stuff all the way around. Teams are spending. That's a great deal. And would teams spend money like this if they didn't have any confidence that the season was going to start on time? With the Angels, with Artie Marino being the, the personality type that he is, give Noah Syndergaard $21 million if he didn't think he had a chance, a really, really, really good chance to start 30-plus games for them this year? No. So what we're left with is teams acting differently than league sources are speaking to people like John Heyman, who will happily write pieces that say, yeah, it's going to be a rough winter. Yeah, it's, you know, the players are really just digging their heels in. They, and, you know, we it's weird that we have normalized knowing players' salaries publicly. We don't know executive salaries by and large. We don't have teams' books open for our eyes. But we can always lean on and rest our laurels on them being the billionaires. And in this context, as weird as it may feel, the players are effectively the underdogs. And really, we're looking at players who are have not made it yet, who are still before ARB, who are six, seven years into their career before they have a chance at making anything like these dollar amounts. Those are the guys who are the real underdogs here. The upper class in baseball, as in terms of talent, will always be taken care of. People will always seek stars. People will always seek pitching depth. People will do it with guys who seem like they've been able to do it in the past because we are seeing what a pitching staff looks like change before our very eyes out of necessity. The depth just isn't there. So these players are getting paid for. It'll be very interesting to see how things play out on the hitting side, uh, especially with a star like, say, say a Suzuki coming over from the Hiroshima Carp in the MPB. But nonetheless... Teams are spending. That's a good sign for baseball starting healthy and on time in 2022. Teams are spending. That is a good sign for the state of baseball overall. Teams in general, that we can't describe them just like any group as a monolith. Maybe some of these teams are acting independent. But with a CBA that's almost all but certain to expire come December 1st, teams are willing to spend saying, I don't care. Like This deal won't look bad after what we go through with the union no matter what. We're in a good place. Baseball's in a good place. We should maybe put that product on the field, and I'll be very curious to see how the league handles that. I don't know that they'll ever actually acknowledge it. I don't know what their marketing will be like, but you can sure fire bet that it will be the players are asking for too much, when really, they very clearly are not because teams are paying them agreed-upon amounts. Everybody is agreeing to and signing to, so that is a great sign. We are going to move into this week in baseball. We've got a few details. Shinsu Chu resigns with the SSG Landers of the KBO. Uh, Chu, just a great follow there, ultimately. Uh, a great follow all around. One of those really consistent, really great guys to watch play baseball. Really high OBP guy, uh, historically. He'll play next year at 34 years old, even in the KBO last year. He had an 18% walk rate. He had a 21% strikeout rate. Just remarkable numbers for that guy. Uh, hopefully we keep getting updates. If you're starving for baseball, know that baseball is still happening around the world, if not in the U.S. in terms of MLB. And we'll be able to follow things like the KBO, like NPB, and see how players pitch out, like see see how things play out in the J uh, Japan League, see how they play out with Masahiro Tanaka overseas. Baseball's out there if you want to go find it. I encourage everybody does. Uh, Shinsu Chu re-signing with the Landers is a great deal, uh, just for fun's sake at this point. The Tigers are interested in signing 
uh, Tucker Barnhart to an extension, which is interesting. Maybe they have some valuations there. He's, we, we talked about him, TC and I, a couple of weeks ago about him not really being a threat at the plate at all, even by a catcher's standards at this point in his career. So maybe they really do value him. Maybe they have something internally that has said Tucker Barnhart could be a great arm for this young and uh, you know middle-aged by baseball t- standards rotation. We really value him and his contributions in terms of what he could give us. Uh, Jonathan India and Randy Arozarena are rookies of the year. Atlanta signs Manny Pena for two years and $8 million. Two very different bits of news there. Uh, India beats out Trevor Rogers, which I, I don't know. Dan Zimborski is getting a lot of flack for being the lone person who voted for Rogers independently uh, as first place, his first place vote. I think I would have done that too. I, I mean, there were times when Rogers was lights out and, for extended periods of time, doing it every game he was out there, whereas India is inherently a smaller cog in the machine when he's in the lineup, so to speak, uh, because there are eight guys there instead of one on the mound like there is with Rodgers. Randy Rosarino wins the award at 26 after his dynamic 2020 postseason. Followed it up with a pretty solid campaign in 2021. Ironically, we'll have to see if maybe he is he's already had his best season. Uh, well, it'll be interesting to see what happens in a couple of years when he's inevitably, quote-unquote, too expensive for the Rays and they try to trade him. It'll be interesting to see what ta- team is willing to trade for him at that point. It'll be interesting to see how he plays regularly moving forward. Uh, if he, you know, he debuted late, dynamic skill set, flat swing that can be gotten to with certain pitches at certain points in the zone, but when it's on, it is really on and really a thing to watch. Uh, and Manny Pena with Atlanta signing for two years and $8 million. The Brewers seem to have an edge to hat tip to Lance Brzdowski uh, on this one in terms of catchers framing and all. Uh, Omar Nivaez Omar was one of the worst framers in the league, and then he was, you know, now he's really got a great reputation there with how he's handled that staff uh, and the people who have built uh, the catching, I guess, uh, mentality and approach in Milwaukee. So he Pena goes and signs with Atlanta, who is a really, really solid backup for two years and $8 million. Now they have somebody to plug in after Travis Darno to ultimately, you know, really, really lead that team and that staff. I mean, they were rumored to be in on Verlander uh, until he signed with the Astros, obviously, tonight. But, you know, they'll probably look to make a similar addition to the way they used Charlie Morton. They'll probably, that's been their MO the last couple of years. They have young arms. It would be very interesting if Manny Pena can have any influence at all in helping those young arms step up because we know we've talked about that. Another thing we have gone into in the recent past is that Atlanta hasn't always had the best luck or best fortune in developing their young arms. Uh, and we say this, of course, tongue in cheek. They just won the World Series. Max Fried was just a big part of that. We can appreciate that. They have other stories and other talent and other development. The point is, Manny Pena is now in Atlanta, and it's probably a really solid deal for a backup and a team that is really looking for that kind of stabilization. So we've got all sorts of news coming up, all sorts of players who have not signed just yet. Also, the shortstop market will probably get cooking soon. We've got guys who have rejected their qualifying offers, and they'll be seeking long-term deals now. We have uh, MVP awards. I'll be curious to see if it's Harper or Soto in the NL. Uh, I love both of those players. They're both very fun to watch in terms of pure baseball aesthetic, so it'll be interesting. And They both had incredible second halves. We've got all that and much, much more coming up. In this offseason, uh, you can find me online at Tim Jackson Says. You can find the pod 
at BreakingPodPL. You can email us at BreakingPodPL at gmail.com, especially now, the offseason. It's time to have some fun hypotheticals. If you've got a curious question, we would love to hear it. Uh, we love that you spent so much time with us. We love that you did it again this week, uh, and we hope to see you again sometime soon. Oh, and you can find TC, of course, at TC Zenka on Twitter, Z-E-N-C-K-A, and you can find him at MLBTR. Find us around the PitcherList Discord and on that site. And you can find me at BP. I just wrapped up uh, last week the Top 50 Free Agents with Ginny Searle. That was a blast to be able to have the chance to write that. Uh, and Ginny and I had a good time. And Ginny is uh, another great writer among the baseball spheres, so go read her. And that's that. We hope you had the best week ever. We hope you have the next best week ever after this. And we'll see you next time, everybody. Bye.